Clearly in the Jewish mind, when you mentioned elders, you were referring to a plurality of godly leaders. And with this kind of history, it was only natural for the concept of elder rule to be adopted by the first churches, all of which were primarily Jewish. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part two of his current series titled Church Government, Monarchy, Anarchy, or Democracy. Read through the Old Testament scriptures, and you'll discover that the word elders connotes a plurality of godly leaders. Christ himself gave the church a plurality of leadership at the apostles' level. He appointed 12 apostles, and even among that entity of equality, there was a clearly defined set of leaders. So, absolutely, from the Old Testament to the ministry of Christ to the New Testament church, the plurality of elders in leadership is the pattern in Scripture. But the question remains, why is that? Why a plurality of those in leadership? Let's join our teacher to find answers on The Word Unleashed. Let's look together at the evidence for a plurality of leaders in each church. You have to start, I believe, with the Old Testament pattern. Because the Old Testament pattern provides for us the Jewish mindset. The most common New Testament word for the church's leader is the word elder. What we need to do is go back into the Old Testament and examine what would have been in the minds of the apostles from studying the Old Testament office of elder. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The church did not exist in the Old Testament. The Old Testament office and the office in the church are not identical. But we can learn something from the model. We can see the mindset with which they came into the church of Jesus Christ. Let's begin by looking at the two primary Hebrew words for elder. The first is zalkain. It means literally old. It speaks of mature age. It's usually plural. And it occurs, in other words, it occurs as elders, not elders singular, but it's usually elders when it does occur. It's 178 times in the Old Testament, and about 100 of those times it's used as a technical term for those in authority. So there is a frequent usage of this word in the Old Testament. Now there's one other Hebrew word, and it's the word sieve. It's an Aramaic word, and it's also usually used in the plural. It means literally gray-headed. It's only five times in the Old Testament, all in Ezra after the exile, because they began to use Aramaic after the Babylonian exile. That's why this only occurs then. So primarily we're looking at the word zalkain. Now, how exactly were there elders in the Old Testament? Well, who were these men and what did they do? Well, when you look at the Old Testament data, you begin to realize that there was an Old Testament pattern of elders within a house or a family, first of all. This is one place there were elders. There were elders within a family. The families were much tighter knit than our families are typically today. Usually the family did not live in many places scattered all across the country. They lived together, perhaps even as they do in, in modern Israel. 
They would even add on to the family house, if you will, and, uh, and simply make another room when someone in the family got married and they would just continue to sort of uh, add on a sort of Rubik's Cube of, of houses and structures as the family grew. And so within that context, within the family, there were older men who were the leaders, who were the elders. You see this on a number of occasions in the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 7, this is early on now. I mean, we're all the way back in the age of the patriarchs. Joseph, we're told, went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his household. The elders of his household. Those men, who, those older men who were part of the leadership of that family. In Psalm 105, verse 22, in reference back to Genesis, we read that there were Pharaoh's elders. Pharaoh has elders as well. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 17, the elders of David's household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground. This is, of course, the encounter when the baby uh, was dying. But he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. The elders of David's household. So understand that, first of all, there were within every family, within every household, these older men who were considered the leaders of the family. There's another context in which the word elders occurs in the Old Testament. There were elders within each city. They administered the local government there. Turn, for example, with me to Deuteronomy chapter 19. You'll see this throughout the law. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 12 in verse 11 it says, But if there is a man who hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, so here you have premeditated murder, rises up against him and strikes him so that he dies, and he flees to one of the cities, then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and deliver to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. In other words, he flees rather to one of the cities of manslaughter. You remember those special cities that were for the protection of the person who accidentally kills someone? And here you have the elders of his city sending for him and saying, wait a minute, that was not manslaughter. He deliberately took that person's life. So individual cities had elders. You see it again just a couple of chapters over in, in chapter 21. He goes on to say in verse 1, If a slain person is found lying in the open country in the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess, it's not known who has struck him. Then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which were around the slain one. It shall be that the city which is nearest to the slain man, that is, the elders of that city, shall take a heifer of the herd, and so forth. And it lays out instructions. But what I want you to see is that there were elders of individual cities. You see it again in verse 19. Chapter 22, verse 15. Laws of morality, it says, that if a man takes a wife, he goes into her, charges her with shameful deeds, publicly defames her, says she was not a virgin. Verse 15, Then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city. I'm not going to get into the evidence of virginity tonight. That's a different sermon for a different time. But the bottom line is, there were elders of every city. Judges 8.14, Gideon captures a youth from Succoth and questioned him. Then the youth wrote down for him the princes of Succoth and its elders... 77 men. So you can see that this concept continued 
in the life of the city. You see it again in Ruth, or in the life of the country, rather. In Ruth chapter 4, Boaz speaks of the elders of the city. In verses 9 and 11. So, there were elders within a family, there were elders within a city, older men who were responsible for the leadership of that city. But there's another form that elders takes in the Old Testament. There were elders within the nation of Israel. They're called the elders of Israel. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because the truth is other nations around Israel had elders. In Genesis 50, I read this verse, part of this verse to you earlier, but I left off the last line, all the elders of the land of Egypt went up with Joseph to bury his father. So Egypt, a pagan country surrounding Israel, had elders, those key leaders. In Numbers 22, verse 7, we read of the, the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, two surrounding countries in that encounter with Balaam. But when you come to Israel, the same concept of the leaders of the nation called elders existed there as well by the time of Moses. For example, in Exodus chapter 3, turn back there for a moment, Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, God says to Moses, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Here's what I'm about to do. You see it again in chapter 4, verse 29. Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. Chapter 12, verse 21, the same thing. Chapter 17, verse 5, chapter 18, verse 12, and so forth. The point I want you to see is that by the time of Moses, there was already this group of men designated as the elders of Israel. When the monarchy came along and kings began to rule in, in Israel, this group still stayed. It continued as an advisory body. In 1 Samuel 8, 4, for example, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. And then on and on it goes as you go into the history of the monarchy. Abner consulted with the elders of Israel, 2 Samuel 3, 17. 2 Samuel 5, 3, all the elders of Israel came to the king in Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. And then they anointed David king over Israel. It was also influential even during the exile. You remember when they were carried off into Babylonian ex, uh, captivity? Jeremiah 29.1 says, Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile. And it lists several other offices that were present at the time. You see it throughout Ezekiel as well. Ezekiel 7.1, Ezekiel 8.1, and so forth. This group called the elders of Israel continued to be influential even after the return from Babylon. Ezra 5.9, Then we asked those elders and said to them thus, Who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and to finish the structure? So the elders of Israel are there when they return to the land after Babylon. The same thing in Ezra 6.7. Ezra 10, verses 8 and 14. Sometime after that, and we don't know exactly when, but the synagogue began. There's a lot of debate about when it actually began, but when synagogues became the focus of every community's worship, each synagogue had its own elders. They were really the mainstays of the synagogue, and it was out of them that the head of the synagogue was selected. You see them a couple of times in the Gospels. For example, in Luke 7, verse 3, 
you have the Jewish elders asking to come and save the life of his slave. And in John 12.42, the Greek word lets us know that it's a reference here to the leaders of the synagogue, the elders of the synagogue, John 12.42 as well. Uh, so what you have is even in the synagogue, in every individual synagogue where the Jews met for worship, there were a plurality of elders. When you come to the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Maccabean period, and the Gospels and Acts, the expression elders of Israel comes to describe the Jewish Sanhedrin. This is the group that you meet in the New Testament who ultimately meet to decide the fate of Jesus Christ. It's the high, highest ruling body of Judaism. They believe that Moses established this when he appointed the 70 back in Numbers chapter 11, and it was an absolutely strategic body. Now, why do I go through all of that? You, that's the Old Testament background. Here's why. Clearly in the Jewish mind, when you mentioned elders, you were referring to a plurality of godly leaders. And with this kind of history, it was only natural for the concept of elder rule to be adopted by the first churches, all of which were primarily Jewish. As we look at an evidence for plurality, we looked at the Old Testament pattern, the Jewish mindset, elders over houses or families, elders over cities, elders over nations, but there are a number of New Testament passages that set for us a clear apostolic example. Now, I'm going to try to breeze through these pretty quickly. We'll see how far we get. But I want you to see that when you come to the New Testament, without question, we're talking about a plurality of elders in each individual church. When you look, first of all, at the Jerusalem church, you see this pattern. I listed a number of texts here for you about the Jerusalem church. Elders played a dominant role in the life of the church in Jerusalem and in the Jerusalem council. But I want you to turn specifically to Acts 15. Because in Acts 15, we get a little feel for this Jerusalem church. Acts 15, and notice verse 4. When Paul and Barnabas arrived at Jerusalem... Verse 4 says, they were received by the church, the church, and the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Now, it's here in English. It's very clear in English, but let me tell you, it's crystal clear in Greek. What you have here is the Jerusalem church, the singular word for church is used. When Paul and Barnabas arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church, singular and the elders, plural. You see this same pattern down in verse 22. It seemed good after the decision was made to the apostles and the elders, plural, with the whole church, singular, to choose men from among them to sing to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Bersabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter. What I want you to see is there's a singular church, in this case the Jerusalem church, with a plural number of leaders. Now James, was the, as we've learned in the study of James, was the key leader in the Jerusalem church. I want you to notice what he says about the life of the church in the epistle that bears his name. Turn back to James chapter 5, verse 14. How did he understand how the church is to function? Remember this letter was sent to Jewish believers who had been dispersed because of the persecution, probably that of Herod Agrippa in Acts 12. 
It's in the mid-40s A.D. This is probably the first book of the New Testament written. Now notice what he says in verse 14. We'll study this in a couple of weeks. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular. One church with a plurality of elders. You see the same principle when you go back away from the Jerusalem church, back to Acts. Turn back to Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. This is the first reference to the Gentile leaders of the church. It's at the end of Paul's first missionary journey, but really it's the very beginning of his ministry. And notice it says in verse 23, he appointed elders, plural, for them, in every church, singular. There's a special use of a Greek preposition here. Probably we could translate it something like this. Having appointed for them, church by church, elders. It's referring, of course, to the churches that he'd founded before in Antioch of Pisidia, in Iconium, in Lystra, in Derbe. So one of the key patterns in organizing a new church was appointing elders. And most commentators agree that this was Paul's pattern everywhere he went. Turn over to Acts 20, verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. In Acts 20, you remember, Paul is concluding his third missionary journey. He's heading to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, somewhere around May of 57 A.D. Earlier on that same missionary journey, he had established the church in Ephesus, and he'd stayed there for about three years, we're told. His ship on the way, docks in Miletus for several days to load and unload cargo, and Miletus is only about 40 miles south of Ephesus. So Paul seizes the opportunity, calls the Ephesian elders to Miletus, and this is the only record of Paul speaking directly to the elders. What I want you to see in verse 17 is that from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and he called to him the elders of the church. Notice what he says to them down in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, singular, one flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you, plural, overseers, plural. So the church in Ephesus had a plurality of godly men leading and pastoring it. We went to 1 Timothy 5.17 earlier. Timothy is in Ephesus when he receives that letter and there is a plurality of elders as we saw. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, plural, and deacons. Now at this point, the church in Philippi was a little more than 10 years old. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. The Philippians, you remember, had sent an offering to Paul and Epaphroditus to be his personal assistant. And Philippians was his response And in verse 1 of chapter 1, he identifies two basic offices in the church, overseers and deacons. Both are plural, and yet there was only one church in Philippi. In fact, some 50 years later, Polycarp writes to the church, singular, and tells them to submit to their deacons and elders, plural. Titus 1.5, turn there for a moment. Titus 1.5, Paul had harbored south of Crete in the ship that was taking him to Rome. And after his release from that first Roman imprisonment, he visited Crete. The churches there had probably already been established, but they were weak and they were under assault from various false leaders. 
And so he left Titus there for one specific purpose. Verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders, plural, in every city, singular, as I directed you. Small, struggling churches in tiny little villages dotted across Crete, and Titus was to appoint multiple elders in every one of those little cities and villages to lead the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter weighs in on the issue as well. He's writing to churches scattered across Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to verse 1, chapter 1. Now those were territories, not cities. Notice what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight. Every church in those regions had elders. You say, can this really work? Can a plurality of godly men really work? Well, I can argue experientially in our own experience here at this church and back at Grace, and I can tell you absolutely it works, but it certainly worked for Christ. Remember that Christ Himself gave the church a plurality of leadership at the level of apostles. He appointed 12 apostles and He sent them out two by two with equal rank and authority. But obviously, even among those that equality, there were clear leaders. Peter was a leader among leaders. He was a first among equals. So absolutely, from the Old Testament to the ministry of Christ to the New Testament church, this is the pattern. Now the question is, why? Why a plurality? There are several reasons that I think uh, if we could discern the mind of God, we might jot down. One of them is I think it practically creates enough leadership based on the size of the church. Just a very practical issue. Because there's a plurality, as the church grows, the number of gifted men grows, and there's, there are enough men to adequately minister to the congregation. But I think there are several other reasons. I think the plurality serves as a protection against the sinfulness of the human heart. Where you have Mr. Dictator... You have a one sinful human heart with very little accountability. The plurality of elders provides accountability. In fact, I read for you earlier, 1 Timothy 5:18 and following. That's accountability. If he's unrepentant, then rebuke him in the presence of all so that the rest may fear. It provides protection. Wasn't it Lord Acton who said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? God built into His church a system whereby there wasn't absolute power, but there was measured accountability along with the authority. Thirdly, I think plurality reflects the concept of the various parts of the body contributing to make the whole function. I think it serves to picture what is supposed to happen across the church. Every elder brings his own unique gifting and perspective. I can tell you that personally. It's a wonderful thing to watch the elders' meeting flow and watch the discussion and see how each one of us bring a different background, a different level of experience, and a different contribution to that discussion. But together, we function well. Number four, I think ultimately a plurality ensures wise counsel and effective decisions. You see this 
over and over again in the Scripture. Proverbs 11.14, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs 15.22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 24.6, for by wise guidance, you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. A plurality of godly men leading the church enables us to balance each other's strengths and weaknesses, and in the end, to balance one another's weaknesses as well so that we together are stronger and we make wiser decisions. This is the way God designed the church. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of Church Government, Monarchy, Anarchy, or Democracy. Join us next time for part three. Well, friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You'll find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.